Hi, this is Hal Aaron Cohen, and welcome to my podcast, Tales of the Road Warriors. In a bit, we're going to be talking with Joe Walla. Uh, I met I met Joe Walla, also known as the Million Dollar Man, during a time when I was doing a side hustle as an adult website webmaster. I met Joe Walla when I accompanied my boss to this giant porn warehouse where he shopped for items to stock his online store. So there's Joe. He's sitting behind a, a, a desk in the sales office. And he gave us each a card that read, Joe Walla, the Million Dollar Man. Apparently, the porn industry was doing quite well, and so was Joe. But Joe wasn't leading a completely fulfilling life either. Turns out he was a musician, and he had hung up his guitar when things didn't turn out as he'd hoped. I inadvertently changed all that, and we've been friends ever since. What happened was I noticed a guitar that Joe kept in the office, I figured he just had it there for the, for show, maybe noodled around a bit when he wasn't busy. And I soon found out, we both did, uh, actually, that he had more talent than he gave himself credit for. I mentioned that I hosted open mics and that I was substituting at a place in Hollywood called Highland Grounds. And Joe, he, after I invited him, he's like, really? Uh, he couldn't believe he's got this opportunity to play. I never heard him play before, and here I am inviting him to an open mic. So he ends up coming out to the open mic, and he brings a huge crowd with him, which is not common at an open mic. I had to let him do a couple extra songs so he wouldn't disappoint all his friends. Anyway, after that, Joe got hooked on open mics and uh, eventually started writing songs, and he formed a band, and he's been immersed in rock music ever since. He also has a YouTube show where he combines the world of rock and roll with the combustible world of racing, and it's called Rockin' and Racing with Joe Walla and Chris Seward. You can find out more about Joe and his, uh, his uh, music on his official site, joewallaband.com, and there'll be links to the Rockin' and Racing uh, videos. He does them live. But uh, they're all archived on YouTube on the channel. So I'll make sure you get hooked up with that. You can get his stuff on uh, his music. You could buy and listen to some of his music on broadband. I'll link to that. If you like this podcast, I have no sponsors. So please support it by clicking on the tip jar link at the top on the upper right uh, of the webpage. Put in a buck or 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 100 bucks, a million bucks. You are the. Um, Soul support for my endeavors here, and I hope you like what I'm doing. There's also a comment section below the show notes page for every episode. So if you have anything you'd like to add, I'd love to hear from you, what you'd like, what you don't like, suggestions for the podcast uh, for the future, uh, any subjects you want me to talk about. And uh, that's about it. Also, there is one other thing. There's a Facebook page, a Facebook group. Facebook.com slash groups slash Tales Warriors. That's it. There's nothing left to tell you. I think it's time to listen in on a conversation between me and Joe Walla, who, by the way, wrote the song Playa del Spain, which is the song you hear right after I yell, Tales of the probably start from the beginning you know when you're a musician you need side gigs and so I learned how to build websites and my very right. first client after I learned how to build, build websites was an adult website I don't <laughs> think it's still there like you remember that yeah I'm sure it's long gone and I remember you guys uh what was his name your boss Jim Jim I, I have Jim no idea where he is now he was a hell of a nice guy too Jim was great he guy. was not yeah. the guy that you you would not expect him to be in the adult business, right? Yeah, and I, I don't even know if how comfortable he was with it. I know I was never comfortable being in, in that business. Even if even though um, I, all I was doing was the website, like just seeing all those pictures all the time, it was like too much input, you know? Uh, that's, it, that's what that's what all guys are saying now. No, I but I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't want to do that stuff. My it, wife will kill me. Well, I didn't have a wife. I, well, I had a girlfriend, but uh, she never killed me. She was actually very cool about it. But I just, I don't know. It kind of makes you numb to the whole. 
Honestly, yeah, the business. I've been in the business for over thirty something years, and and it's uh, it, it's it's. Uh, I was going to say it has it ups, it's up and down, <laughs> and in and out. But. <laughs> so yeah, but I remember. You know, I, I walked in with uh, Jim and then Harley Howie, oh. Mike, uh-huh. and uh, I don't know, the three of us like kind of just hit it off, you know, and then I saw that right. guitar by your desk and I'm like, oh, you play guitar? And Yeah, and, and you know, it was like, we just started talking about it. And the funny thing is, is I wasn't playing anywhere for years. I got a little disillusioned. I owned the record company with a partner that just took it right to hell. We, the vision that we originally started with sidetracked and I was part of the blame because I got business cards and handed them out to everybody in Hollywood Boulevard and thinking we were going to build a record label and sell my own band up to a big label and we never recorded and I had bands prior to that and we spent years sitting in a rehearsal room and was afraid to step out and you know realizing now you know after you're saying hey dude come do an open mic and 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 I'll definitely elaborate about the open mic thing but Going to open mic was like a a, a beginning stage of Let's, just go out and play every night. It didn't matter, you know. Did, go play. Did you have some kind of epiphany or revelation when 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 you went after all that time went to the first open mic and it was acoustic, right? And you were used to playing electric, right? And then I remember you saying we're playing down at Comet was it Comet Highland Grounds? Highland Grounds it was. And I had no clue. So I brought like 80 people down to an open mic, which realizing that in hindsight, that was not the thing you had to do anymore. You know, I'm thinking 80 people coming to a little coffee shop, seeing me play. I go, wow, I brought all these people. Oh, you only get two songs. I go, are you nuts? I thought you get like three or four or five songs. So that was an eye-opening experience, but the place was packed, which was cool. And, you know, it was really for me to start writing songs acoustically was something I never did, you know? So it, it brought my mind into uh, doing the first couple of CDs that I did. We're all off of acoustic, you know, playing open mics with you guys. And, and I remember, you know, you were saying, Hey, I couldn't host a couple of them. So, Hey, you want to host a few? Uh, I remember the one in Glendale that used to let me host over there. And that was way cool, man. And got to meet some cool people. Uh, you know, all the places we played, man, was really awesome. It was a great time uh, for me to develop my musical uh, songwriting. You yeah, know? there were fun days for me, too. Like, um, there was quite a few people, and you being one of, one of them, that really made doing the open mics very very rewarding. Right. You and know? what was cool, you know, you had some cats that, like, uh, you did one style of music, and, 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 I, and I'll never forget, you, you and Joe Lima was the other guy that, I always remember uh, being part of that motivation for me to go forward and start to uh, write songs and, and fit in the pocket with you guys. Cause you guys always stood up above most of the guys that walked into open mics. There's a special few, but most of the time it was just some cats on the weekend want to get out and sing a song and move on, you know, but yeah. You, I, I used Joe, to hate when people would come into an open mic, play their two songs and leave. Like they wouldn't, after they had their turn, they wouldn't stay and watch others and support other people you know they just came to play what they came to play and right I, that yeah, was I always got... a very pet big pet peeve of mine sure you get a you get a whole room full of people and by the last guy on there's only playing to the uh uh what do you call the guy serving the coffee back there and, and that's it you know that's it and the guy cleaning the tables and thanks for coming out man yeah. i've been great thank you well, that one you talked about at Highland Grounds was the best. It was founded by Bill, Billy Block. It was called Western Beat, and Billy Block was the right. guy who was the the host of that. Like I filled in as a host a couple times. Um, after he left, somebody else took it over and asked me to watch, you know, uh, MC the open mic a couple times. But the thing Billy Block started was Highland Grounds had this outdoor area. They had like, and even in the wintertime, they had fire pits out there to keep it warm. And he said, if you want to talk during open mic, go out to the schmoozatorium. That's what they called the outdoor area. So like, if you wanted to talk, just go out there. You could talk all you want. But if you're in the room where the open mic was taking place, you had to be there to listen and give people right. the same amount of respect 
you expected when it was your turn. And I love exactly. that. Yeah, that was, you know, it, it, I went to an open mic the other night, me and my girl, because I'm still on the hunt for a bass player now. I got gigs traveling across the country, but I can't take anything because I'm not sure where my future is with a bass player. So we went to an open mic because she was saying, you know, maybe we might find somebody there because we play at the Allegiant every once in a while, the jam nights that the guys have at the pro jams. And I don't like to do any of that because it's always cover music and it's always the, you know, one, four, five music styles and blues, the same thing over and over. So I did that, went to open mic. And I mean, I forgot that the, the talent level isn't always as good as you want it to be, even though guys are out there like weekend warriors. So you're not going to always find what you want, but during the days when we were doing that, those shows, man, there was a lot of good talent that was out there and I couldn't believe it. But I think today's music has completely changed as far as people go because everything now is electronic, you know? Yeah, that's true. But there's still regular rock and rollers out there. I know you'll find a bass player. can't be that hard. Is, is Craig, well, does Craigslist work for you out there or do you get a lot of crazy flaky people still? Well, Craigslist is either you have – see, the geographically undesirable areas is like I got guys who want to play. And I'll tell you the story because we started from the beginning and we kind of sidetracked it a day real quick. But, uh, you know, the guys out there are, are out in Anaheim, Orange County. Uh, and, you know, driving in L.A. is like it's really a 40 minute ride. So it turns into a three hour event to go from one place to play for an hour or two hours. So it's not worth it for some of these guys. And that's the hard part. Yeah. And especially so, you're in Santa Clarita. Yeah, so I'm already outside. I'm I'm the furthest out outpost besides Palmdale. Right. Know? Yeah, and there's some days when like all the trucks are out on the road heading heading that way, and you just get stuck in between two tractor trailers. Yeah, and it's it's just not an easy find these days. But you know, and it's weird because there could be hardly any traffic. But if you if you just hit one of those little pockets where the tractor trailers were all like riding side by side, and you just can't pass them, that's really frustrating, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Welcome to Los Angeles. I'm sure it's just like that in Philly at times too. But uh, but on the flip you know, side of that coin, and, and if you've traveled, you know this too. The the guys, those truck drivers, are the angels of the highway. Like they will save your ass in an emergency. So right. you can't be too mad at them because they, no, they probably want to go faster than they're going too. I'm sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it is it is what it is. But. Uh, I think about all the stuff that we've gone through, man. And I always thank you guys uh, for, for finding me on that day. You guys walked into that, into my office that day and, and said, Hey, you want to come play? I mean, it's brought all the CDs that we've done from the beginning. You know, we had the roll the dice CD, right? Uh, that was the first one out and there was a lot of great songs on it. And then we did back the fuck up. I love it. Cause I can say it. Cause that's the name of the CD. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I had the uh, Reverend Jay Wicked when I found a producer and, and we had songs on the radio all, all of a sudden radio was a big thing for us. So, you know, internet radio was big time. Uh, radio stations across the country picked up a song or two. So I was pretty fortunate, man, to have that stuff happen with the band that I was with. And uh, a lot of it was, you know, I recorded a lot of the first, the second and third CD was pretty much myself. And I had the guys from Sonoma Blue and, and uh, my buddy George McGinnis play on the very first CD, which was cool. Yeah. Well, and, I remember uh, when you he, first started, it was like you and George and you called yourself the Dangerous Men. And yeah. most of your songs were kind of very like <laughs> novelty stuff, you know, really funny stuff. And at some point you got serious. And I, I, and I remember Harley Howie was always saying, like, I, I don't like where they're going with this. Uh, I liked them when they were, you know, funny but and you know it could could go either way when you do that when you make that transition from novelty to like serious stuff and you could lose your audience for good but you i don't know you picked up even more people along the way cuz something going on joe what is it what's the secret i don't know i, mean, I think it's just the the gift of uh, stupidity or something people like some crazy stuff and then you know i think i was able to Kind of, kind of give them something that they went home and sang, you know, like in their head. And I don't know if that's, you know, being over, overly, uh, 
you know, pat myself on the back that they were hooky songs, but you yeah, know, yeah. hey, God speaking bless them. Speaking of hooks, I think crack horror was a turning point for sure. <laughs> that became almost like an too. anthem for you, didn't it? Yeah, it turned out to be a, a <laughs> it turned out to be a, a song that I had to play almost every show at those in those days because I remember one of the photographers saying, "Dude, if you don't play that song, I'll never come out to your shows. You got to put it in every song, every set." that you play ever so crack whore to joe walla is like what margaritaville is to jimmy buffett yeah i'm sure it's it that was you know the, the thing is is that i had a friend come into town and me and the guys went out to uh the peterson museum we're down in hollywood and my friend ray at the time he says oh we should go to hollywood and pick up crack whores you know he was just joking around and uh i go okay we came back i kind of penned a few words uh, the, the hook was there. And then I remember playing it at Blue Saloon one night and I played an acoustic show solo and I did that as the last song and people were coming up to me saying, I dated that girl. I know a girl like that. Everybody was like, I know that girl. So I'm like, oh shit, I'm on to something here. So, yeah, she used to hang you know, out at McReds. <laughs> yeah, McReds. And I even, even my mom used to love that song. She's like, you're going to play that crack horse song? I go, gee, my mom's talking to my friend saying, I love that crack horn. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that, you know? That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's something like your mom singing the crack horn song, get my willy and I wrap it twice. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I told you I played it at an open mic out here a couple times and it goes over every time I do it. Although some people <laughs> kind of groan because it's not the same kind of crowd you play to. Like when when you play an open mic in Philadelphia, it's usually like a bunch of old guys playing like um, uh, Wild World by Cat <laughs> Stevens or yeah, some old folk song, you know. And then I get up there and play Crack Horror by Joe Wall, and they're like, "Ooh, you're that's creepy." <laughs> I guess yeah, we had a, we had a few creepy songs throughout those days. I mean, you think about it, it was just kind of fun to throw songs like that out. You don't think of as being serious, you know, and then when you hear people tell you that uh, it's a little bit over the top, you shouldn't sing that, you shouldn't do that, you know, it's freedom of creation, you know, and and the, the bad part is, is that, and a few of the bands I played it, some of the guys I played with didn't want to play it because it was against their beliefs, you know, and that was kind of harsh for me because yeah. it's just a song. If God wanted me to write the song, he obviously put this this gift or whatever you want to call it or a bad gift <laughs> whatever it comes through you know it's like the first cd i wrote was uh roll the dice and all the songs everybody came up to me and said you know but it, with the exception of a few of them that dude you had a really bad love life i go i was in a relationship with somebody at the time which was it was a good relationship but all these songs i kept writing I have no clue where it came from. I just started writing one day. Right. That's well, that's actually the out. sign of a good writer. When you write a song that's not reflective of what you're going through, but you can create this character and that's their reality. And you, your song comes out sounding like you wrote it about yourself, even though you didn't. That's good writing. Yeah, but you have to be introverted enough to, or what do you call it, when you self-introspect yourself. I'm not using the right word because I I'm, I'm went to college uh, just uh, for one semester and 10 years of high school. So, so you, <laughs> so you cut that class at, at fuck you university, you cut the class where they taught, taught exactly. you good or English and, and a lot of words. Yeah. I speculate. Well, drop the vernacular, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I was thinking about, you know, some of the songs that you write, it's like, where did they come from? How they come from? It just, uh, it just hits you. It just, it's just, and the sad part about that is that during those days, I wrote a lot of songs and today I'm, I'm like in the dark. I can't seem to find that spark that I used to write about and stuff. I write riffs, but you know, I'm playing nothing but rock and roll and heavy rock and roll these days. And I still like to throw in some of the acoustic and some of the Spanish stuff. And, uh, but you know, once you start playing rock and roll stuff, it's kind of hard to get, I don't so, get motivated. So you're hitting kind of a good... block there in the lyric department. Yeah, I, I just I'm trying to find melodies that are counter, you know, counter, you know, you don't, most guys are right. Chunk, 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 chunk. Okay, my baby, run it right along with the with the guitar parts, and I'm trying to think 
how to offset my voice and you know i'm not a singing machine i can play guitar but you know i've never thought myself as a singer but then again look at tom patty look at bruce springsteen look at all those guys that got a unique voice and that's the thing that puts them out in front so yeah you might try try putting try writing some lyrics first and then putting the music adding the music afterward that might help it might be a good way to, you know, because I got a million ideas, and I, by the time I get around to coming to pick up a guitar, what was I thinking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. But, you know, this, you know, people out there, you're going to say, like, what the hell, where'd this guy come from? And we're just talking acoustic and writing, and that's that's one of the main things. But, you know, we've been pretty lucky to do a lot of cool things over the last few years. I mean, we've, we've done a lot of big shows with a lot of cats. You know, we did... Uh, co-built with the uh, fog hat we co-built with molly hatchet we've done shows with uh gary hoey we've done shows with ynt uh i'm trying to think of who else uh, canned heat of all things to go and play a show with uh, oh i could totally Michael see Shanky. that i always picture them playing those kind of places like you play out in the desert and, and the biker bars and the, right. the truck stops and and now it's nitro events we play a lot of drag racing events all over the all over the country i've been pretty lucky to tour around with the a few of the big guys uh and travel and and uh been all up and down the north you know the northwest so far you know, which has been really cool and we get to go see a lot of drag racing stuff plus i got my radio show it's rocking and racing so what kind of uh what kind of audience you have going you know the audience is is kind of very interactive on the show which is cool they all type back and forth say hello to each other and and i have guests calling you know some pretty legendary racers that come on some guys who are just up and comers so i try to the show's diversified when it comes to the racing guys i'm not getting as much rock and roll as i love and i got to start digging a little bit more you know i've had some uh had the guys from saxon on and some metal guys i've had the guys from the bass player from uh oh blank candle box was on you know, I, I'm trying to find some more guys to come on. I got to get you to come on and do a show with us one night. Maybe we could do a, a, a song via Skype, you know? Must have had it. Must have had a great time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, that would that would work. But, I mean, I could see where your your audience would be more likely to be the, the racer people than the rocker people. Because uh, racing fans are hardcore. And that that's... They love oh, the dude, smell of fuel. Game. Right. When we play the shows that we've done, I mean, usually in Bakersfield has been my favorite place to play at. People get crazy. They're screaming. You know, we get played to five, five to a thousand people. And they're the most of the, the guys who are stuck sequestered onto the track because they got to work and run the next day. And this is their two or three or four hours because the last show was like a four hour show. We didn't even take a break. So I was loving it. I'm, I'm a psychotic man. I just love to play and I drive my guys to the, you know, to death levels, you know, cause I just, I don't know when to stop, man. Cause you don't know how much time we have to play music, man. And I want to share the gift. And, and do you still, do you still do a lot of motorcycle club events? You know, I kind of stopped doing that after my accident a few years ago, you know, I had a gnarly motorcycle accident and broke the ribs and got airlifted off of PCH out here. And, uh, the weird part is, is like uh, the epiphany that I had when I was laying on the ground and didn't realize I was, I thought it was dead at first. And the epiphany was, uh, you know, I had 50 something guitars at the time and I was playing some nice high end stuff. And I go, what happens if I never touch those guitars again? And I'm thinking that maybe I won't walk again. So I go, motorcycles are bitching. Motorcycles are cool because I was really into choppers a lot. And I like that outlaw looking you know kind of deal with the ape hangers on the bike something gnarly you know and uh, it just gave you that steppenwolf mentality back in easy riders day you know and that's that was one of the things that got us rolling the steppenwolf uh stories the first time we played we played for one of the one of the biker clubs the one percenter clubs i won't mention names so that way yeah it was some sort of memorial for uh, one of the guys passed on so we start playing the show right and this, they're there having some kind of war war tribunal up at the top of the, of the in the corner of where we're at. Guy comes and stops us, and this goes on a couple of times. We start, we stop, we start. And George is wired for sound, right? That he's my drummer. And the first thing he says out of his mouth after we've been stopping and going on, he goes, "Who the hell threw this party?" 
And you got to remember, there's like 800 bikers in oh there, out here. Nobody's got a happy face on. So I'm thinking, okay, this is a good way that we're going to die today. So we continue to play. We had the best set that we could possibly play, and nobody's clapping. Nobody's moving around. They go, okay, we'll stop the set. Let's go get a beer. Let's go up and get a beer. Let's uh, call it call it a few minutes and come back and do it again. So we're walking up, going to get a beer, and I see this big gorilla guy looking up. Hey, bro. I'm like, yeah, what? what's happening, man? You guys are great, man. Well, you guys want to play our clubhouse? <laughs> I'm like, dude, really? I go, how come you guys aren't clapping? You know, I guess they're not supposed to have a fun time when they go and go to these meetings, you know, so. But we ended up being one of their favorite bands. And for about three years, we were traveling all over. They were like a, a nationwide club. And uh, yeah, I they played always games like that play. where you can't read the crowd. And this wasn't a biker, just a regular like bar. And I'd be playing and you just get no reaction. But then when you're done, I'm packing up and people are coming up to me. You were great. When are you coming back? And I'm like, oh, you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that sucks. That's that's misery for a, for a musician, man. If you're out there and you're kicking ass and you feel that you've given them a good show and, and then they're like. Yeah, crickets. And and you feed off the energy. So so if they're not giving it back while you're playing, there's no way you could know that they're enjoying it. So it's nice that at the end they come up at least and tell you that they enjoyed it. But still, it would be nice if you, you, know, you got them engaged a little bit while you're playing the set. Right. And and you talk about being like out on the road and all that stuff. And we, we would travel out to the edge of the, we played at some place called Angels Roadhouse. It's like two hours in Yucaipa. And we were playing rock and roll. It was loud. It wasn't acoustic. It wasn't an open mic. We were paid to play it. And uh, one of the clubs was there at that place and they're beating the hell out of everybody and anybody. This was a wild, wild set too. You know, we're walking out of the thing and talking to some big guy who's been eyeballing one of these little guys didn't know he was the president of the, of the club. They all come around us and circle us. And I'm thinking this is a good day to die. <laughs> oh man. This is the, you know, these, those stories are horrible, man. That's definitely stories from the room. When you're out there and you get some of these crazy moments, but you know, we've been pretty lucky. We did those, uh, we did a thing at Qualcomm stadium for a uh, biker build off. And I know a lot of the guys out there might remember biker build offs on uh, discovery channel. A guy named Harold Pontarelli lives up in, uh, someplace in, in NorCal asked us to back a bill and asked us to come and play. And I said, okay, where are we playing? And he wanted to know what we charged. And we ended up playing two shows every day at Qualcomm for this big bike event. And there was, there had to be over three, 4,000 people that attended it, which was way cool. And it was like Danny from Danny Coker from uh, counts customs. Who's now driving whatever that uh, he's got that show where he picks up cars. I can't remember what counting cars. Uh-huh. I uh, got that hanging with him before he was even on TV. So that was cool. He was one of the cool guys, Alan Lee, all these custom builders were there. So it was really nice to be around an element that you play, you know, that you enjoy being with and, and talking to and the guys dug what we did. So that was kind of fun. Hotel stories are another complete thing. I don't know if you saw anything recently. Uh, on Facebook, my girlfriend posted up some crazy stuff with me smashing bugs in a hotel at Motel Six when we were playing a couple of months back. So, <laughs> now, what you're pulling like a Keith Moon there or something? No, we checked into the um, a cheesy Motel Six in Bakersfield because we were playing at the, the the Hot Rod reunion, and I figured, well, we didn't get a, a good rooms in time. So we walk into the door and then there's roaches crawling on the floor. There's oh. all kinds of little black flies in the thing. And it's like midnight. I'm like, great. Where am I going to find a hotel in Bakersfield on this busy weekend? So it's like, this sucks. So she's laughing. She's filming me killing bugs all over the house and, you know, all over the, the house, I should say, the, the hotel. So it was kind of funny. I mean, just we've been in some bad places, man. You know, like you said, this is Tales from the Road Warrior. Uh, we did a show up in Kennewick, Washington, and I think it was in Winnemucca, Nevada, where we stayed, and we couldn't find a room. These are great. Uh, I the, like the we name. We got a room for Winnemucca. Yeah, that's a true place, right on the right, right on the the northern border of Oregon, going there. And uh, we stayed at a place called the Frontier. So if they ever listen and hear this, the worst hotel I ever stayed in 
one of the worst besides that motel system. Well, then Edit I the guess room. I can't ask them if they want to sponsor my podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I'll tell you, I would, I definitely would. This story, you'll love it because uh, go to the door to open it. There's holes in the door. People have already kicked in holes. So there's two bed. There's a bedroom in one, and there's two beds in the other one. I go into the back bedroom and I go, this is where the drummer's going to sleep because it's got all those little pine cone, you know, those, those pine tree uh, air fresheners like the movie Seven. Yeah. I go, Mark, that's your room. Oh, okay. The bathroom windows wouldn't lock so anybody can come in through the back window. There was, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, the water in the tub was just horrible. It was just one of those places where, you know, skating but it came, was king. It came with a pre-filled tub with full of brown water? Yeah, it was it was disgusting. <laughs> just jump right in. Make you just want to tear your oh, clothes off and take a bath. Oh yeah, the holes and everything in the place. It was the best fifty dollar a night hotel we could have ever found when you're on the road for miles, you know. Oh man. But Sounds these stories wonderful. are the best. How was the view? Okay, the view sucked. We had a busted up uh what do you call it? A tel what a telephone booth that was right in front of the door, you know. I go, this is a good, but you know, we made it up to uh, Kennewick. That's where we ended up playing. Cause we were in rotation. That was kind of cool. And that was always an interesting, I mean, these stories, the well, stories what was of playing. The, what was the situation just, where you, you went to thank uh, somebody after a show and they wouldn't let you near them. Oh, that was, uh, that was one of the, that was still during the same we played a birthday party for one of the presidents of, the, of one of the, the clubs right and yeah. there was like seven gorillas around the president that wouldn't let anybody come in it was his birthday and i wanted to thank him for inviting us to play the show i had to have another affiliate or a, a, a local president from one of the the chapters walk up and get me through seven guys to say what do you want to talk to him for i'm like oh shit this guy's a super royalty. And these guys are like huge. They make me and you together look small. Yeah. Oh, I've so, seen guys like that. And you know, it's funny. The guy, the president, he's like five, five little guy. Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, you must be pretty badass to run these guys. So, I guess so. Yeah. This is but well, you know, yeah, I, I remember once well, out here, the big gangs out here on the on, in Pennsylvania. Well, I can't mention names, but uh, they start I, with a P and name with an N. No, it starts with a W. And gotcha. uh, and I remember uh, I walked in a McDonald's or something. This was years ago. I mean, this guy was old then, so he might, might not even be alive now. And it was this great big, huge biker wearing the colors. And then there was a girl. She had a tattoo, and it said "Property of Ducky." So I guess that was Ducky. <laughs> you know, this was this had to be forty years ago. So Ducky's probably like a great grandfather by now. <laughs> oh, these are great stories. I mean, the guys who were in the club, you know, and, the, and pretty much most of the women become property in that deal. You know, this is a whole different show. But yeah, uh, yeah, we probably yeah, should get back to the is, music. Speaking of which, the so. Music. Yeah, so well, let's let's talk about your childhood, Joe. How old were, were you when you like started to play? <laughs> My girlfriend's laughing over there. How old? Were, I I I got to tell you, here's a couple of crazy things that I remember. My mom, my mom had a picture of me, and I wish I still had this picture. It fell off someplace when I was driving. I'll tell that to <laughs> Joe story. Lima but, probably stole it. He probably did. He didn't want to know. I'm two years old. I got sunglasses and I got a, I got a little plastic guitar and I'm standing by a Christmas tree. I go, who knew that, you know, how prophetic 40, 50, hundred years later, here's this guy still playing guitar with sunglasses. Uh, my dad got me a guitar, like an acoustic one when I was like eight or nine. And you remember those quick draw, McDraw, El Cabong guy yeah. smashing doing Keith Moon stuff and uh, Townsend. That was me. Thanks, Dad. I got a guitar. Smash it. Uh, he must have loved that. And, uh, I, yeah, I don't that suppose he ran movie. right out and got you another one. Nah. I, he got my mom a, a keyboard, one of those big Lowry organs back in the day, and my mom taught me how to read a couple of notes. 
And I just love playing this thing because, you know, one finger on the bass hand and you can run the melody on the other. My mom taught me how to read. I go through books all the time. Mom, get me a new book. My parents split up. My dad left the guitar. This is a true story. You know, he left this little Gretsch amp and a, a Tiesco Del Rey guitar. And that was the, I wanted to play music so much. He split up. He took the keyboard and uh, the guitar became my best friend for the rest of my life. And that was uh, pretty interesting because I didn't realize I didn't know how to play shit until I was about 16. And I had a guitar for three years. Do you still have that same, and that I, first guitar, the Tedesco? You know what? I'm looking for it. I painted this one. I did all kinds of crazy stuff because, you know, you're thinking that you're a rock star at that age and <laughs> you're, customize, you're customize your guitar. Yeah. You know, you had that. What, what was the, what was the uh, strips, those prism strips that used to have? Remember that in the 70s? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we dated ourselves. <laughs> but I did all that no. stuff to the guitar, beat it up and. The thing that sucked is my dad left me this little Gretsch amp and I didn't have a clue because it was no huevos to it. It's probably like a 20 watt amp and wasn't rock and roll enough. I sold it for 50 bucks. I found out that that amp is worth probably about two, three grand today. Wow. Yeah. But you know what? If yeah, it doesn't get the sound you want, what, what difference does it make if it's a collectible unless you're a collector? Oh, wait, you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Nowadays, it's like, you know, what do you got now? It's like, I just picked up a bunch of new stuff. My buddy at Rusty's Cool Guitars in North Carolina always sends me some cool stuff. I got a Lux Tone. I just got a couple of days back. I mean, I'm on a Tele Kick. I got Paul Reeds. I got uh, Les Pauls, Explorers, SGs. I mean, you name them. They're pretty much. I only don't own a lot of cool acoustics. That's the only thing I don't have a lot of. I got my Gibson still. Right. When you remember now, yeah. Well, I even though you have about ninety guitars, um, there's got to be a go-to. Like, what what would you call the, the the guitar and the amp? Like, what combination gives you that Joe Walla signature sound, especially on your surf rock stuff? Uh, well, I, I I think on the guitars, the go-to now is what I've been using. I, I usually take six or seven guitars to a show, so I mean, this should tell you that. I'm still kind of psychotic when it comes to changing stuff. So, uh, so there is I'm no one the, signature. You forge it on several. Yeah, and I, I think that some of the sounds that I've come up with over the years, like I had Italia, and I know that people are going to laugh. It's an Italia Modinas. I bought a couple of them. They're, they look like reverse Firebirds, and uh, they got mini humbuckers in them that are just sealed and. I played one during the surf when I was creating a lot of my surf stuff and fell in love with the trem bar. You know, the trem bar, you barely touch the, the bar and you can get that nice tremolo tone without having to work it like a big. Yeah, yeah. Is that the green one, that kind of like green aqua color one? Yeah, it's green sparkly. Yeah, I um, love that. I love that I guitar. Blue, yeah, and I have a blue one that I did, bought as well, blue and green. So they're both pretty slick and... Uh, I even bought a strat from them like that because I thought I was into them all, but the strat was kind of, ah, eh. I still got strats. That was my number one for a long time, but uh, I haven't played it. I mean, there's probably so much beer and rust under that. <laughs> Cause you've seen me play before when I used the beer, you know, beer bottles and beer steins and bar stools and whatever the hell else I can scrape off of people, you know, knives. That was one of my stupid yeah. moments of playing, you know, <laughs> Yeah, whatever it takes. Yeah. And what about your amp? All right, amps. I'm, I'm, yeah, I still have. I, I, I use a. We, at home, I'm always using my Cyber Twin. I got a Cyber Twin that I play all the time. It's one of the original ones that came out, and they have. Uh, the Cyber Twin have a built-in reverb. Reverb is. Are you getting that from a pe an effects pedal? Uh, wait. There's more. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I this, the Cyber Twin's got all the Fender tones built into it, plus a bonus. So it's like a hundred presets. It's kind of like the pre, the pre Line Six, but better. You know, right. it so it's a modeling amplifier. Yeah. So there's only a few things I use on it for home when I do these little home things. But I use a Fender uh, Deluxe, a 40 watt Deluxe for the surf tones with the verb turned way loud. And then for the rock and roll stuff, I got Mills custom cabinets. So I got two 410s. I'm using a JSX head. And then I run in uh, 
through that, uh, what they call it, a G, G, I can't remember what the hell the number it is. It's, I just buy boxes and put them in there. So this is <laughs> G major. That's what it is. So that's, that's like kind of like the main rig, but I got like four other heads. I got a Bramble Satan head, 120 Watts. I got a, uh, carbon V3, hundred watt. I have a, uh, John Isel custom built, uh, hundred watt head. It looks like a Marshall head, but it's got a specialty little shot in there because he knows I like to play effing loud. Yeah, I, uh, I was just gonna say it sounds like that one goes to eleven, maybe twelve. Uh, this one actually goes even louder. It's got a thirty dB boost switch on it, where it says "No fear" on the guitar on the amp itself, and oh, I've man. never used it. <laughs> Turbo. But yeah, you you know my loud sound was loud anyway i mean i, I play places and people are telling me to turn down and i'm on one i'm like you know what i turned to one i'm going home i don't need this shit for 300 bucks you need to get one of those rigs that straps to the back like in uh the latest road warrior where the guy's like playing on the back of that truck and sparks are flying out of the guitar <laughs> that was bad. yeah you, did was you see that oh yeah i saw it they're standing strapped onto the car and driving yeah that was if, so if, wild if, that was so wild i love that scene yeah, if I was crazy enough, you know, and I had the access to that, you know, I would probably do it. I'd, I'd love anything that's kind of showman over the top because people, the thing that's funny, Hal, when we play live and, you know, when you, you have to actually play something really well when you're doing acoustic because if you slack on acoustic, it's, it's noticeable. But on an electric yep. guitar, I can take anything and people think it's a talent that I'm scraping I'm scraping a beer bottle over the neck or I'm taking it and taking a bar stool and using a bar stool or somebody took off their prosthetic leg and I used it one time. <laughs> I go, I swear to God, I can't make this up. There's people who've seen me over the years. I think on YouTube, if you go to the Barstow, the Joala and Barstow on YouTube, it's an old thing that I did with the Joala band back in the day. And somebody filmed 10 minutes of me just doing stupid stuff with the, with the guitar. And I'm like, okay, I had a helmet on one day and I used the helmet while I'm wearing it to play off of my head. People thought that was great. So, well, you know, when I go ahead, uh, go ahead, go ahead. You were going to say, I was going to say when I, I play like, like, um, what, what do you call it? Uh, the David Bowie song ground control to major Tom, uh, right. you know, it gets to that like little inner inner room right before it goes into the first chorus. Yeah, now, now I'm crossing. I, well, I rubbed, I rubbed the guitar neck against the microphone stand. I got the... You know? Right. So I, I kind of slide my guitar like that because I don't have a a bottleneck or a slide, so I use the microphone stand to do it. Yeah, that's why I, I got slides and I don't even use them. I got lap steels now. <laughs> so I've, I've been trying to do that. That's my latest... Uh, of noise making sounds, lap steel. That's kind of cool. David Lindley. Yeah, no, I got a friend out here who has picked up lap steel lately, he got into it. So, you still playing the lap steel? Yeah, I, I have uh, four of them, man. I love them. Oh, I got wow. an old so magnetone. I got a, uh, somebody gave me as a birthday gift a, uh, a Supro, a 1960 Supro lap steel. And I go, wow. Sweet. He goes, nobody ever played it. He gave it to me. Well, that's a good way to get one. Well, I need, know, a, I, yeah, I need, I'll, I need a friend with a spare lap steel myself. I, I wouldn't mind messing with one of those things. So, are you recording anything right now? What's, what's going on? What's your latest uh, Joe Walla project? Touring, well, I, recording. I, this is recording. I have, a, I have a project coming up, and this would be kind of cool. Uh, a couple of guys who were in the movie biz had asked me about doing a. Uh, a, a racing documentary and of course some of my music will be involved in it so i get to, to actually go and re-record some stuff or record some new stuff uh it's going to be called legends of speed and it might be an ongoing uh, reality show as well it's going to be start as a documentary but they want to do a di uh, reality show mixing my my music and the radio and all the legends that we've come across over the last uh, few years of yeah. hanging out and racing it's yeah, I like this. So that's the promising. Uh, or maybe a, like a soundtrack album of your stuff will come out of this too. I'm hoping that, you know, that once they say this will go, uh, I think it'll be pretty cool. I got to, like I said, I'm still hunting for a bass player. I could, I could play the bass, but I think it'd be better to uh, have a new band and, and start writing fresh again. That might be inspirational. Now, does Sandra play any instruments? 
yeah, she's trying to work on a piano right now. So I told her now she should have got, I should have got her a bass. I was just going to say that. I, I was going to say, you know, you, you ought to teach Sandra how to play bass. And then there you go. Keep it I'm in the family. Exactly. Open A, open E, open D. That's it. We'll put, we'll be like ACDC, man. <laughs> there you go. And do the, do the horns and scream once in a while. Just do. <laughs> so when you when is your Sorry. Netflix documentary going to come out? You know, she's been bugging me to, she's like, we should do a, a life with Joe's Joe story. And, uh, because I must drive her crazy 90% of the time with all my stupidity and things. I, oh, she said 99%. I was trying to get out of a uh, full night, 100%. But, you know, I always do crazy stuff. I live crazy. I did that at the movie state. Just, uh, we went to a movie one night and I was talking like uh, Brian Johnson all night. I'm going to a movie all night. <laughs> <laughs> screaming at people as they're going to have a good night. <laughs> people who's off his meds. Yeah, yeah, really. How, now, how would you keep up that voice the whole night, though? That, I, I could do it for maybe a... No, I couldn't even do it at all. Uh, I don't know. You know, I've been used to screaming all my life, I think. And yeah, I, no, no, that's I, good, I that's good that you can hit those here. notes, you know. That, that's that's important in, like, heavy rock and roll like you play, like, to have that ability. That's why they love you, you man. Yeah, I, I don't know. Just have a good time, man. That's, I mean, doing the shows and, and doing what we've been doing over the years. And, and again, I, I can't thank you guys enough because you know what? You walked into a, a perfect time in life for me where I wasn't doing nothing. I was just wishing I was in a band and wishing I could do something again, but I was so pissed off about music business. I mean, I got signed to Atlantic in 82. Uh, I had a band that was rocking on for a while and we never got out of the garage as you say we played in a, a studio for a year and never thought we were good enough and i realize now to anybody listening to the show tonight is this is what you need to do write five or six songs go out and play at an open mic or go out and play wherever you want to go and play and if the songs suck so what write another one just you'll know you'll know how to go forward i mean to be realistic about your music don't wait a lifetime and look for perfection because if you're going to be perfection, you'll never find the answer for what's going to keep you going to the next project. You know? Yeah. That's great so advice. Get- I mean, it applies to anything, even this podcast. I've always been like right. that guy that you're talking about the wait, wait for everything to be perfect. And musically, I never really put myself out there. I mean, you know, you know some of my songs cause you heard them at open mics, but, yeah, but I good. never put a CD out. But when I decided to do this podcast, my sister says to me, Hal, don't wait to, for it to be perfect. Just just do the podcast. And like your first few episodes are going to suck. And like the problem we had getting our first episode off the ground when I was talking to you three times and still couldn't get it straight, you know? So you now here we are finally having this conversation. Well, you know, things take time to get the, the right, right chemistry, man. And, uh, you know, yeah. hey, and you got to keep at it. You just got to say, well, so what if it sucked? I'm going to just keep doing this. Sooner or later, I'm going to find that combination that works. Same with songwriting and playing rock and roll, whatever it is. Yeah, and I, and I look at it. This is another, you know, I think about this, you know, to maybe kind of finalize the conversation is that, you know, it might take you all your life to get to a point where you could be the best or be something bigger. You know, enjoy the moment that you have to play the music because uh, you may not ever get that second chance. I mean, tomorrow's not a promised thing. You know, you got to go out and live life to its fullest every moment. You know, my motto, my my motto is to dream big and live bigger, and that's the way you have to face every day. And, and whether whatever you do, but if it comes to music, don't be afraid. Just step out. People say I can't sing in front of people. Well, you know, neither could I. It took me to this point and put me on the radio. I've gotten to places where most bands will never go. And be original. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't be Eddie Van Halen. Don't be a, a tribute band. Unless they guarantee you a $50,000 a month, you're not going to make a living at it. 
Right. You know, so don't don't expect to be a, a, a super rock you know, god. Chad Chad Watson uh, told me. I, I don't know if it was from him directly or he was quoting a friend of his, and he said, uh, "You know, like if you just stick with it long enough, you'll outlive the competition." That's true. So, so you know, I feel that we're blessed, and I feel that we've had a very good run, and I'm, I'm very grateful that I, I met you and and you were instrumental in pushing me forward down the road with you and Joe and those guys back in the day that we used to play at who knows where tomorrow's going to take us Hal? but you know what you beat a lot of good things you know you beat some bad things you beat some good things and we just keep going forward man and and I, I I'm thankful that uh, you gave me this opportunity tonight to chat about some of this oh hey I'm, and I'm grateful that you are are here having this conversation Wish yeah, everybody well, you, know, the, the best, you know what they say too old to rock and roll too young to die but I like to think I'll never be too old to rock and roll. Well, anyway, oh, it's great talking to you, man. Uh, anytime you want me to like play, must have had a great time last night over the phone. Just you know, just let me know. I'll do it. Dude, if you ever record it, I want to buy this, buy the the CD, man. I know you're gonna do it one day. I, I have it recorded, but I just don't have any recording of it that I'm like totally happy with. I think that's the problem. <laughs> Don't be a perfectionist. Just go on and release it. Let the world tell you how good of a song it is. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, uh, have you heard I'm Going for a Drive, which is the song that mm-hmm. I end most episodes with? Yeah, I remember that song. Uh, nine o'clock, go Bored to Death. Day. Yep. Smoke so much I can smell my own breath. I, li- I like that line. <laughs> I don't smoke anymore, but that's do- still a good line. Oh, yeah. I think about the, when you say good lines from songs, I remember writing uh, on my song Little Rain, from the first kiss I saw forever in your eyes. Now I'm, I can't believe we're saying our goodbyes. Like, oh, that's kind of a great, I don't know where some of these words come from sometimes, but you've got to thank God that they push it through your head, you know? Yeah. And when they do go through your head, you better make sure you write it down on the spot. I don't know how many times I think, oh, I'll remember that. And then I forget. And I know I... Later in the day, later that same day, I'll go, I, I had a great line earlier. Why didn't I write that down? <laughs> yeah, but just remember this, Hal. She's my little crack whore. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to end the show. Talk to you soon, my brother.